my wife? How do I know it's not Carmella pretending to be my wife? <laughs> because if you don't let me in right now, I'm going to knock down this door and kick you in your vagina. Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, everyone. And you just listened to Maria Canellis threaten to kick her husband in the vagina. A lot of people talking about Mike and Maria's role on Raw as of late, their roles on Raw ever since Paul Heyman was named the newest executive, or the first ever, actually, this is a new title for anyone in WWE, the executive director of Raw. So we're going to run down all of what took place on Monday Night Raw. Last night, Raw emanated from the Verizon Arena in North Little Rock, and we are now just two weeks away from SummerSlam in Toronto on August 11th. We started things off with a mixed tag team match last night where the 24-7 title was on the line. It was Carmella and R-Truth going up against Drake Maverick and his wife, Renee Michelle. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this time in the lives of Drake Maverick and Renee Michelle. They actually did get married recently, and they really did film a 24-7 title change at their wedding. And it's been rumored, though there's no way of really confirming this, that Vince McMahon was said to be a huge fan of this storyline that took place at their wedding. It was evidently Drake Maverick that pitched it. Vince loved it. And now the 24-7 title, for better or for worse, I mean, it's a comedy-based title, but it's gotten over really well. Like, There's lots of people who really enjoy it. It produces some good comedy. R-Truth is, at this point in his career, uh, like, just, he looks so comfortable performing in any fashion. And... He's really hit a home run in this role, as has, as has Drake Maverick, and as has his wife, Renee Michelle. And Renee Michelle, my understanding is that she's still not signed to WWE, but she wrestled in the uh, Mae Young Classic. So she's uh, a wrestler from outside WWE, and this whole thing that happened at her wedding has now led to her kicking off Monday Night Raw in a tag team match with Drake Maverick. You could argue that this storyline with the 24-7 title has been the biggest in the careers for Drake Maverick and definitely Renee Michelle. And it's just kind of funny that it centers all around their real-life wedding. And what, what an odd scenario that must be. I mean, a good scenario, obviously. Their wedding has led to professional advancement somewhat for for both of them. So R-Truth and Carmella win the match, however. But the 24-7 stipulation had been suspended during the match, and there was a whole bunch of lumberjacks on the outside of the ring just waiting for the match to end so that they 
could go after the winner and try and win the 24-7 title themselves. So there's a big pile on after the match is over, but it was Mike Kanellis who got in there first, and it was Mike Kanellis who then escaped to the back, the new 24-7 champion. So from there, from there we went into... Um, the next match, they went to the gauntlet match for the number one contender to the United States title, but we would catch up with the Canellis family later in the show. And it was at the end of the hour where Maria started banging on the locker room that Mike had barricaded himself in. And she didn't believe that... It was really Maria. She, he thought it was somebody on the outside of the, the door trying to convince him it was Maria so that they could come in and beat him for the title. He even said, no, you could just be Carmella trying to help Truth get in here to win the championship. So then Maria, in an effort to convince Mike it really was her wife, or his wife, she said... Mike Canellis, you let me in or I will kick you in the vagina. And then Mike let her in. Maria then told Mike to do what he normally does and get on his back. And then she put her foot on top of him, a ref counted three, and Maria Canellis became the first ever pregnant champion in WWE history. Well, that, that we are aware of. I mean, somebody could have been pregnant and won a title. I don't know. And so the, a lot has been made of this Mike and Maria storyline. A lot of negativity from people towards this Mike and Maria storyline. Not me, however. I like it. Well, okay. I don't, it's not that I like this storyline, it's that I know it's going somewhere. Because I know this is a Paul Heyman storyline. For those that listened to the podcast last week, we talked about Paul Heyman's relationship with Maria. And this goes back to their days in Ohio Valley Wrestling together, where CM Punk was becoming a Paul Heyman guy, and Maria was dating CM Punk at the time. Anytime Paul Heyman is asked about Maria Kanellis, he refers to her as one of the most underrated minds in the business. And I think that probably is true. Maria is not just an ex-diva. Maria is a very intelligent uh, person in the wrestling business. You don't get to become a Paul Heyman-endorsed person in the wrestling business without having something to offer it. And it's in particular, Paul Heyman refers to Maria's mind for the business, is what he thinks she is so, um, that uh, he believes she's so talented at, is that she has an excellent mind for the business. And the day after Paul Heyman was announced as the executive director of Raw, this storyline happened. So why are we seeing this happen? Why are we watching Mike Kanellis be beaten down and beaten down and come off as a loser, as come off as just this guy 
who doesn't know how to stick up for himself, right? Isn't that it? He's not sticking up for himself. And he loses all the time. So why are we seeing this? If Paul Heyman is such a fan of Maria Kanellis, why are we seeing him bury the crap out of her husband? Well, it's because her husband, and this is just speculation, this is just me speculating, obviously, but Mike had sort of been killed before this started. When they did that uh, gimmick where Mike is sort of led, like, Maria is the leader of Mike. Mike took her name. So this storyline developed uh, as soon, really as soon as they debuted, which would have been at around the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, I think in 2017. But they came out with this just death gimmick. And they must have known it was a death gimmick when it came out because it was so silly and so over the top. I mean, it's, we'll get more into it, but uh, it's really designed, like it's a very two-dimensional gimmick. Maria is the, uh, is sort of like abusive, like verbally abusive towards Mike. So this happened beforehand, but now since Paul Heyman took over, they've really, they've been on every week and Maria has emasculated Mike every week. And now there are all these hints that we don't know who the father is. So where I believe this is going is we're going to go into this storyline where we find out where Maria is sort of keeping who the father is a secret. But she will eventually split from Mike altogether. And we saw sort of hints about how, like, there was this odd backstage interaction last night between Maria and Braun Strowman where she had mentioned something about, you know, why don't you go out and show me how strong you are? So I think we're going to see a pregnant Maria Canales kind of stir the pot a little bit with a few other characters, in reg and it could be in regards to who the baby's father is. Regardless, that's going to be a storyline, and Mike's going to be out of the picture. And it seems like Paul has really just destroyed Mike Kanellis to the point where now his character needs to change. His character's hit an arc and needs to go out and defend himself, hopefully gain some sympathy from the audience, and chart a new path, a new path separate from Maria in WWE. So the good news is the good news for Mike Kanellis is he won his first championship in WWE last night. The bad news is he would then lose it to his pregnant wife, Maria. So next up, then we had a gauntlet match to determine who will face AJ Styles for the United States Championship at SummerSlam. We started things off. We had Rey Mysterio versus Cesaro. And both of these guys are ones you are kind of hoping do more on Raw now that it's Paul Heyman's show. But a few weeks ago, we saw Rey Mysterio lose in under a minute to Bobby Lashley, and then Lashley went on to lose to Braun Strowman at Extreme Rules after that. So it seemed like Rey needed to get some wins under his belt, and he got two 
good, well, kind of good wins in the gauntlet match. So he, he beat Cesaro after a good match. And with Cesaro, you just kind of hope he's on TV having good matches every week. And then Sami Zayn came out and Sami Zayn was all overconfident and went for a hell of a kick right away. And then Ray scored a quick roll-up victory, eliminating Sami Zayn as well. So right off the bat, we have Ray Mysterio picking up a couple of wins after having had that kind of bad loss to Lashley from a couple of weeks ago. Then after that, Andrade comes in and Andrade reverses Ray 619 into a backbreaker, followed by his DDT finisher, and he gets the win. So it's a big win for Andrade on Raw over Rey Mysterio. And you kind of hope that Andrade is a character who's going somewhere. And it was interesting because Ric Flair... Now, remember, Andrade and Charlotte Flair are dating. And so Rick was asked about Andrade in some interviews and just praised praise the heck out of him as a performer. And how can you not, really? I mean, Andrade... Um, I mean, Andrade's a guy who there's no reason he couldn't be pushed to the degree that Alberto was pushed. And I feel like... And not that this is how it should happen, but if him and Charlotte Flair are serious, that's going to be good for Andrade's career. Because Charlotte Flair is... Like, there are power families in, in wrestling, and there are power couples now in wrestling. And power couples is a new one. Because we haven't had a lot of power couples because... There hadn't been as many women before. So power couples is a new one. And Andrade and Charlotte Flair, I mean, are arguably are a power couple. And other power couples you've got, well, obviously Stephanie and Triple H are the biggest uh, power couple. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella are a power couple. John Cena and Nikki Bella were a power couple. Miz and Maurice. Taya Valkyrie and Johnny Impact. Andrade and Charlotte Flair. So you've got Andrade, who's already become a huge star in Mexico. The only thing missing from Andrade becoming a big star who's main eventing pay-per-views and, th and stuff like that is him being put in that role. Well, uh, if he is Ric Flair's son-in-law and Charlotte Flair's husband, he will be in that role. But then Andrade lost to Ricochet, and that will bring us to Ricochet versus AJ Styles and the continuation of the Ricochet versus the OC storyline. Then after the gauntlet match, we had a triple threat tag team championship match involving the Revival, the Usos, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows. Anderson and Gallows, we talked about this last week, they were nowhere near the tag team title scene. They had just been coming out with AJ and doing stuff with AJ and hadn't really been wrestling in the division so much as they were wrestling as AJ's uh, stablemates. 
And we had talked last week on this podcast about hoping that would change. Well, it changed in a big way. They won the tag team titles this week. And then later in the night, they were involved in a brawl with the Usos. So you wonder now if we're going to get the Usos versus Anderson and Gallows for the titles, and if the Revival are just sort of outside the title picture now? Or what the heck's going to go on here? But two weeks out from SummerSlam, we had a team who was not really involved in the tag team title picture come on out and win the titles. I also wonder if maybe WWE felt the OC could use a big win on this show because they didn't come off looking great on the Raw reunion show. And this was something Sean Waltman talked about on his podcast. That's X-Pac, obviously. He talked about on his podcast, he was talking with Scott Hall, they actually brought up at the Raw reunion show, hey, aren't we making the OC look bad because we're telling them to suck it, we're getting the, uh, you know, we're ending the segment standing tall and they're, they just reformed and stuff like that. And apparently Hall and Waltman were told, yeah, don't worry about it, it's fine. So maybe, you know, maybe this was to to give the o, get the OC looking a little bit stronger. Now AJ is the United States title. Anderson and Gallows now have the Raw Tag Team titles. This is the second time that they've held the titles. They won the titles at the Royal Rumble in 2017. They beat the Bar. They then lost the belts that WrestleMania to the returning Hardy Boys and had sort of fallen out of the tag team title picture ever since. Then they're announced in this match. They pick up the win. And now, we don't know. I don't know. We might not get a Raw tag team title match at SummerSlam. I mean, we we can't just have these six-hour shows. Especially if you're a company where it's so important to be marketing towards kids. Name me one kid who can sit still and watch a show for six hours. It's just a bit much. Now, if you're, I mean, you're probably like me, where you just sort of fast forward through the stuff you don't like, or you fast forward the replays, or you fast forward the, there's always stuff to fast forward. So it's never going fully six hours. But if you're a company and you're expecting some, like, are you really going to sit down for, like, so, I don't know. Maybe we're not going to get a Raw Tag Team title match at SummerSlam. Um, who knows? But it was the Usos and Carl Anderson and Doc Gallo, or Luke Gallows, who were brawling at the end of the night, and the Revival were nowhere. So do the Revi- are the Revival still in the title picture? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. There's only one more Raw until SummerSlam. So not looking good for the Revival to be part of SummerSlam. And then after that, we had a squash match where the Viking Raiders defeated Johnny James and Cole Carter. Now at the Raw reunion show, they actually beat Hawkins and Ryder, who are former tag champs. I mean, they're Hawkins and Ryder, so obviously. but uh, So that's what we're getting. We're getting the Viking Raiders just beating people up, beating people up. And then... Do we get the Viking Raiders versus Anderson and Gallows? Is that a feud that we get down the line? Is that maybe why Anderson and Gallows got the titles? 
They mentioned on commentary that Anderson and Gallows might be looking behind them at the Viking Raiders coming, coming for their title. So with commentary mentioning the championships, it's probably not too much longer now until the Viking Raiders are in the Raw tag team title picture as well. All right, then we had some very fast-forwardable stuff involving Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, and Natalia. This is interesting because we've got Natalia versus Becky Lynch at SummerSlam. And we talked about this last week as well. Natalia is going to get cheered over Becky Lynch in Toronto. And so I've been wondering, why would they do this? Why would they put Natalia up against their biggest star? I think we saw a little bit about how they're going to play this for the next few weeks. Because like, there's SummerSlam in Toronto, and then Raw and SmackDown are both in Toronto too. So, Lynch, they showed a video of Fit Finley teaching Natalia how to reverse out of the disarmor and into the sharpshooter. So they're showing this flashback. And then Becky Lynch runs in, knees fit Finley in the groin, and then goes after uh, Natalia and I think put her in the disarmor or something. The idea here is Becky sort of came off as a heel, or at least like an anti-hero. Like, not a heel in the sense that they want her to get booed, but her actions were, you know, she need fit Finley in the groin, unprovoked, and just went after Natalia. They're they're kind of heelish in maybe a Steve Austin anti-hero type of heelish move. And I believe that they're doing this because they do expect her to get booed in Toronto at SummerSlam, and I think they want that. They want that because they want Becky to play off that crowd. Becky playing off her haters is better than Becky playing off her supporters. Becky Lynch on the mic getting booed and laying into the the Toronto crowd booing her. Like that that'll be good because Becky's best stuff is cutting mean nasty promos. And this gives her a chance to do this, to cut a mean, nasty promo on a live crowd while still remaining popular outside of Canada, outside of Toronto, outside of facing Natalia. Because once Becky comes back to Canada and she's not facing Natalia anymore, they'll go back to cheering her in, in Canada. They like, we like Becky here. It's not like Shawn Michaels where... The rivalry between him and Brett was so much that we just, we couldn't, we couldn't cheer for Sean for years and years and years. It's not really like that. We'll cheer for Natalia because, like, Natalia is wrestling royalty in Canada. Like, it's not, like, she's a Canadian, obviously, that's a big deal. Um, Being a heart, being a member of the Heart Foundation uh, is a big cherry on top of that. Um, and Natalia is just the type of athlete that's really respected here too. So, so I believe that's why they're doing this. That's why Becky need fit Finley in the groin. That's why Natalia is her opponent at SummerSlam in Natalia's home country. 
they want Becky to get to play the heel temporarily. To play off that crowd. To 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 be to to be the cool heel. But it's really interesting. It's interesting they went this way instead of just going a much safer route and having her like having her go up against Lacey Evans was incredibly safe. It's a new wrestler. Well, it wasn't safe in the sense that it's a new wrestler or whatever, but like if she had gone up against Alexa Bliss or you know, a typical heel that's safe. Having her go up against a baby face future Hall of Famer in her home country after main eventing WrestleMania is an interesting spot to put Becky Lynch in. It's not safe, but it's interesting. So then after that, we had Seth Rollins versus Dolph Ziggler. And the idea here is or was that Seth Rollins wanted to get revenge on Dolph Ziggler for Dolph Ziggler super kicking Shawn Michaels at SmackDown and disrespecting the WWE legend. So Seth Rollins is out there and he's going to represent all of WWE as he does on Twitter. And so he comes out, but then during the match, Brock Lesnar comes out and it looks like Rollins is ready for Lesnar, but Ziggler in a dirty underhanded heel move grabs onto Rollins' leg, and that allows Brock to get the upper hand, and he just lays in an epic beating on the challenger, giving him an F5 on chairs, and and uh, Rollins started to cough up blood as if he had massive internal injuries. And I think if you cough up blood, you are in dire medical need. Well, Seth Rollins... I assume was taken to a local medical facility. And now the idea is, wow, we've got an injured Seth Rollins going into, into SummerSlam, which Brock probably wanted to do because, Hey, this is the guy who beat him clean at WrestleMania. So Brock's thinking, I need a little bit of an advantage here. I got to go out and get this guy before our match at SummerSlam. So we'll see how that plays in to their match. And it'll be interesting to see where that match is positioned on the SummerSlam card. Like, what main events SummerSlam? Is it Brock versus Seth? Eh. Kofi versus Orton? Eh. Bailey versus Ember Moon? You know, is it... Do you put Becky versus Natalya on last? God, it probably is this that's on last. But regardless, so that is the advancement of this storyline this week, is that now, as we approach SummerSlam, Seth Rollins has massive internal injuries. And we don't know. They sent out a thing on WWE.com that, you know, he's evaluating him and stuff. But, like, was it a punctured lung or, or like... What causes him to cough up blood? Well, I guess we'll find out next week. And then we had the Samoan, the Samoan Summit. And I love this because before we got the Samoan Summit, there was a backstage segment. Everybody was just brawling with everybody. 
And so Samoa Joe just comes out and goes, peace talks have deteriorated or something along those lines. And then just invites uh, Reigns to come out and have a brawl. And then we had this massive brawl to end the show. And as we said before, the Usos were brawling with Anderson and Gallows. And they were sort of partnered up with Roman. Cedric Alexander comes off. Cedric Alexander dives off the the top of, uh, of the... Well, not the top of the Jumbotron. But, you know, he jumped off something onto a bunch of people on the stage. And... He started to mix it up with Drew McIntyre. Remember, those two have a storyline going. Cedric Alexander, two weeks ago, pulled off the upset victory over McIntyre. Then last week, McIntyre uh, beat him up before the match could even start. This week, they were involved in this brawl. And that's how the show ended. And I gotta say, I really thought that this was a good Raw. And I should preface this by saying... I'm going into all Monday Night Raws or WWE Raws right now wanting to like them ever since Paul Heyman was appointed. I've I've been a huge Paul Heyman fan ever since I discovered ECW. And it's not just ECW. If you go back to the original brand split in 02 and you look at SmackDown for the eight months that he was in charge, they were the best SmackDowns ever. It was the the way that he was doing the show was different. And it's just interesting to see the wrestling landscape right now in the summer of 2019. Like the summer of 2019, we've got nine weeks now. Until there's another wrestling promotion on major TV doing a live weekly two-hour series. And already the game the game was changed in 2019 with the official announcement of AEW. That changed the game in terms of how contracts were doled out, with how, um, uh, with how talent was dealing with their relationship with WWE. All of a sudden we saw talent's... Uh, openly complaining about WWE, trying to get fired all year long. Crazy stuff has been happening because a billionaire with deep pockets has entered the picture. And you take any industry in the world and you add a billionaire, it changes everything. Pro wrestling recently added a billionaire and it's changed everything. And in nine weeks, it changes even more so. That's when the shows start to change. Right now, we've just been getting the contracts are changing. The management uh, management talent relationship has been changing. Soon we're going to see booking changes. And a lot of crazy stuff happened in those first few months of the war last time. There were title switches like every week. I remember there was title switches like every week. And then it was as if both promotions figured out, okay, we can't do that. We can't do that in the long term. We'll we'll hurt ourselves. But one question is, which promotion, which promotions really will adapt 
and change course based on fan response more dramatically, right? Like, will AEW um, respond to people who don't like all the librarian and comedy stuff and sort of downplay the comedy segments? I don't know. Will WWE get rid of scripted promos? We don't know. That's the cool stuff that we have yet to find out. And we don't start down that path for another nine weeks. And with that, we are going to end this podcast for today. Don't forget to check out SpoilerFreeWrestling.com. It's also our YouTube channel. Um, follow us on Twitter and all that good stuff. Thanks again, everybody. I'm the Eye Guy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.